Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you this morning. My name is John McGlott. I am a member here along with my wife, Jess, and I also serve as associate pastor. If you're visiting with us, it's a privilege to have you uh, worshiping with us this morning. We've been going through the book of Luke, and we're currently in chapter 11 of Luke. Right in the middle of the chapter, verses 14 to 36, and uh, we'll be reading it in just a few minutes. Let's say you're not feeling well. Maybe you have a cold and you need to drink some tea. So you go to the cupboard, but the only tea that you have is a single bag. There's no package and no label. What kind of tea is this? What is inside of this tea bag? Is it black tea? Is it green tea? Hopefully it's not instant coffee. But you have a cold, so you can't smell it. You're not really sure what's there. What's the easiest way to know what is in that tea bag? It's to apply hot water. Put it in a cup and pour hot water in. Whatever's in the tea bag then comes out, becomes evident what's there. I first heard this story, this analogy, uh, from someone else trying to describe what people are like. We are like the tea bag. Whatever's inside of us comes out when the hot water of life is applied to us. When things don't go our way, we get mad or we get depressed. We might say mean things to people we love. We might lose it. We might fall into rage. Whatever's inside of us comes out when we experience the hot water of life. I'm ashamed to say that I too often have not responded well when the hot water of life has been applied to me. What's inside comes out of us. In our passage today, Jesus teaches the crowds around him some important lessons about what's inside of us. He also talks about whose side are we on, either good or evil, and what we're filled with. Are we filled up with light or are we full of darkness? Now, the message from this text today is important for anyone. If you're new to Christianity, maybe you're just here to explore what does it look like to be a Christian? What is church like? Well, I'm glad you're here, and this message is important for you. This text is also helpful for us who are Christians as well, because even though we're in Christ, we still must submit to His ongoing work of sanctification, working to fill us up with His light and to clean us from the inside as he does. So with this in mind, let's look at the passage, Luke 11, starting in verse 14. I'll read, and you follow along as I read there. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is the finger, it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons. 
then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment when the men of this, with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body, and your eye... And when your eye is healthy, your body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Amen. The Word of God. Now, the main point or the big idea of this passage is this. All people must join God's kingdom and be filled with His light or be judged for rejecting Him. I'll say it again slowly because I know you're writing. All people must join God's kingdom. All people must join God's kingdom and be filled with His light and be filled with with his light, or be judged for rejecting him, or be judged for rejecting him. All people must join God's kingdom and be filled with his light, or be judged for rejecting him. Let's start off by setting the scene of what's going on here. Back in Luke chapter 4, Jesus said he came to preach the good news of the kingdom of God and to set free the captives, to give sight to the blind, and to give liberty to the oppressed. And that's what he's been doing since chapter 4 all the way through chapter 11. And we see that in the first three verses here, 14, 15, 16. Jesus is back with the crowds and he's doing what he does. He's healing people He's setting free those who have 
demons or demon-possessed. The reaction of the crowd we see in 14, people marveled, but not everybody marveled. 15 says there are those who had some challenges to Jesus. It says the first challenge was that he cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. And then in verse 16, it says that some people wanted to test him, and they kept asking him for a sign from heaven. They wanted to see something else from him. So we see here in these first three verses, there's three responses to Jesus. One is that people marveled. One is that they discounted what he said. They tried to undermine his work. And then the third was people wanted some more signs. They wanted more proof that Jesus was who he says he is. And the rest of the passage, Jesus addresses these two assaults, these two attacks on his authority and on his message, these challenges. So we're going to go through these uh, one by one. The first one, point number one, is God's strong kingdom. Jesus addresses this first challenge, and point number one is God's strong kingdom. This is verses 17 to 26. We're going to look at that section right now. So verse 17, Jesus addresses the first challenge to his message and authority. Um, we see that, that that attack on his message and authority is that they, they're saying that he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. People are accusing Jesus of not having power from God, but having power from Satan. But Jesus' message to that is, this is absurd. This is crazy. Do you see what he says there in verse 17? He says, every kingdom divided against itself is laid, wa- laid waste, and a divided household falls. Can a kingdom that's fighting against itself stand? Can it last? No. A civil war in any country weakens that country, no matter how strong they are at the beginning. Businesses fail, even if the business plan is good, but the partners cannot get along, and they must separate. Jesus is bringing to their attention that it does not make sense that Satan would give Jesus power to cast out demons. The plan, the purpose, the mission of these demons who are inhabiting people is to inhabit and torment people. So why would somebody from their own team be kicking them out to keep them from doing what they're supposed to be doing? It doesn't make sense. Verse 19, he continues to talk about how absurd this is. He says, if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, By whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. So he's saying that this reference to their sons who are casting out demons, it's possible that there were those within religious workers at the time who were casting out demons. And even if they weren't actually doing that, it was understood that anyone who could cast out a demon would do it under God's power. And not only did everybody know that, it was understood that it would be God's power. They talk about the sons. So the the younger people, the younger generation, even understand that the ability to cast out demons comes from God, not from Satan. So what they're saying is absurd on so many levels. It does not make any sense at all. It's completely crazy 
to accuse Jesus of using the power of Satan to battle Satan. Now in verse 20, he continues to talk about, to use logic in this. He says, But if it's by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So there's two options here, two interpretations of Jesus' power to cast out demons. One, he cast them out by the power of Satan. Or two, he cast them out by the power of God. He makes sure that the audience understands that he cast the demons out by the power of God. And then he says, if it's by God's power, then God's kingdom has come. That's the next logical step. Because Jesus is claiming, has claimed to be the Son of Man, God's messenger, God's Savior, the Messiah. So if indeed he has the power of God to cast out demons, then he is the one who God has sent. He is God's chosen one, God's Messiah, the Savior. And then Jesus illustrates this point in verse 21 and 22. Uh, mainly just 20, yeah, 21 and 22. So he talks about the strong man. There's a strong man who has a palace, and he's strong. He can guard what is his until, verse 22, one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him. So the strong man is only there and only secure until someone stronger comes along comes along and takes over. He kicks him out and divides his spoil. This strong man in this illustration is Satan. His domain, his kingdom is on earth. And Jesus has come as the stronger one. He's the stronger man. And he is attacking him and has overcome him. It's interesting though, we picture a strong man coming and attacking. Jesus comes as a man but in attacking Satan and overcoming him, he does it by dying and then being raised from the dead. So what is the application here from, what is Jesus' application? He gives that to us in verse 23. He says, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Jesus says, you're either with me or you're not. You're either gathering or you're scattering. You're either helping or you're not. There's a popular game in the U.S. called Bang. There's a Chinese version of this game, Sanguosha, uh, uh, the Three Kingdoms, right? So in this game, in the, in the American version, it's, the, it's themed in the American West. It's all cowboys and guns. And there's the good guys and there's the bad guys. And each player is one of those characters, and you're trying to take out the... If you're a bad guy, you're trying to take out the good guys. If you're a good guy, you're trying to take out the bad guys. But there's also a renegade. The renegade, he is on his own team. He plays both sides. So when it's convenient, he looks like a good guy. When it's convenient, he looks like a bad guy. And his goal is to do it all by himself. He's not on anyone else's team. He's all alone. Well, I tell this to, to point out that in the real world, there's no renegades. Jesus does not give room for the renegade to do it all on our own. Somebody might claim to have a, a faith of their own, or maybe to be neutral to spiritual things, maybe agnostic or atheist even. But from this passage, we see 
that Jesus says we're either with him or we're with Satan. There is no renegade. There is no third part to play or something in between. So we should consider, whose side are you on? All people everywhere are either agents of God's kingdom or agents of Satan's. And by default, our natural place is to be agents of Satan. We are spiritually dead without Christ. We are in his domain, in Satan's kingdom. We, that's where we start. That's where everyone starts. But when we, were, we are in Christ, we join his kingdom. We become gatherers. It's by the grace of God, through faith in Jesus, that we join God's kingdom. We become his subjects, his agents. We join the stronger man. And we follow him. So if you're not a Christian today, turn from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God. And do this by accepting his free gift of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. If you'd like to know more of what that looks like, what does it look like to join God's kingdom? Please talk to me after the service or talk to somebody who's here that's a member of WSBC. We would love to share more with you and help you to understand that more. Now, Christians, we can also apply this to our lives. Christians are sinners saved by grace, but there's times that we still scatter. There's times that our lives still look like we're serving Satan's kingdom. We stumble and we sin. I'm reminded of Luke chapter 9, verse 23. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Ours is a daily taking up our cross. Because we're still, we still have sin in us, we're still prone to sin. We must daily repent of our sinful thoughts and actions and turn again to the Lord. We don't repent in order to be saved again, to be justified again. But we repent because there's still leftover sin in us. There's still leftover sin that God is correcting and God is changing in us. Romans 6 is helpful to understand this. Paul says to Christians, So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ, alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make it obey its passions. So we have an action. We have, have a call to action. We have work to do to consider ourselves dead to sin. When we see sin in our lives, we remind ourselves, I'm dead to sin. This is not my life. I'm no longer in that kingdom. I'm alive to God in Christ Jesus. And I don't want sin to reign in my mortal body, to reign in my life. So that's how we respond to it as Christians. Now Jesus continues in verse 24, talking about the, the building, the person who has been demon-possessed. Let's look there at 24. It says, When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest, 
and finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. And then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. What in the world is he talking about? Well, this is a, he's continuing the picture of a person as a house being dwelt in, a demon living in this house, which is a person. When this demon is cast out, it says it goes to waterless places. It has unrest. The demon's goal and mission is to indwell, is to live in a person. So it decides to return. Verse 25 says it comes and finds the house in order. You should notice that evil and disorder go together. Jesus, Jesus does not use disorder to overthrow Satan's kingdom. The kingdom of God is one of order, not chaos. So in verse 26, the demon returns to this house, this person that he was dwelling and finds that it is now empty and clean. He goes and gets more demons to join him in this place. And now the person, this house, is worse off than when the first demon was originally kicked out. What is, Jesus, what is Jesus' message here? What is he saying? I think it's a warning to his listeners that it's possible to have a spiritual experience, like having the demon cast out, without faith in Jesus and still be spiritually empty and then able to be filled with demons. So think about your own spiritual life. Have you had a spiritual experience Maybe you come to church and it feels very peaceful. Maybe somebody prayed for you at some point and you cried. It was very emotional. These are not bad experiences. It's, it's good to feel those things. We worship God and fellowship with other believers. We want to have an emotional response to that. We have a peaceful feeling. We might cry and be overwhelmed with something. That's good. But we must be careful because a spiritual or emotional experience does not necessarily mean that we have joined with Christ. We must repent of our sin and believe in Jesus as our Savior in order to be saved. Our salvation is based on faith, not on what we do, not on our feelings alone. So our feelings are involved, but be careful. If your spiritual experience, if your salvation story is just related to how you felt and you have not repented of your sin and believed in Jesus as your Savior, you may not be a Christian. And that's a serious place to be in. Don't leave today wondering whether you're a Christian or not. If this is confusing, if you're questioning your salvation or maybe the salvation of a friend, I recommend reading the Nine Marks book called Conversion. Conversion. It's one of the colored books. I think we have it on the book table. If not, we can get it there. It's mustard yellow, so you can't miss it. Um, it's not the most beautiful color, but you will spot it. Conversion. It's very helpful to clarify these cases where someone thinks they're a Christian when they're really not. What does it really mean to be converted? What does it really mean to join God's kingdom? The book is very helpful. You can also talk to me or to Luke 
we would love to talk to you about this. And we are, we are available to help. So when we're joined with Christ, when we're truly Christians, it's comforting to know that it's not possible for demons to dwell in us like we see in this story. Those who are filled with God's Spirit cannot be then overtaken by demons. God is that stronger man. There's no one stronger to come and overthrow or overtake us. Romans 9 verse eight, sorry, Romans 8 verse 9 says that belonging to Christ means that we have the Holy Spirit in us. The Holy Spirit is the stronger man from the story. Now it's important to note that when we're joined with Christ and His Holy Spirit lives in us, that we cannot lose our salvation. The Bible says that once we're born again, we're not going to become unborn. The Bible says that when we're saved, we're brought from death to life. We're not going to be, become dead again. So like I mentioned earlier, it's possible to claim to be a Christian and not really be a Christian. But for those who are truly joined with Christ through faith in Him, we don't go back to an unsaved place. All right, let's go to point number two. Point number one was God's strong kingdom. Point number two is God's blessing. This is very short. We're just going to look at two verses here about the, the woman in the crowd. Verses 27 and 28. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. The woman here may have been one of those marveling at Jesus' work back in verse 14. She calls out above the crowd, says something like, Your mom is so lucky, or how awesome must it be to be in your family? Now, she's not wrong to, to praise Mary. When the angel visited Mary to tell her she was going to be Jesus' mother, he said to her, Greetings, O favored one. And then when Mary went to visit Elizabeth, who is John the Baptist's mother and Mary's cousin, Elizabeth said of Mary, Blessed are you among women. So it's not particularly wrong to say that Mary was blessed. She was blessed. But Jesus corrects her thinking here, aligns it better with the, the whole truth. It's not being part of Jesus' earthly family that brings blessing but it's being part of Jesus' spiritual family that is the true and lasting blessing. The woman saying that Jesus' mother was blessed to have him as a son. Imagine how great Jesus is and for that to be your son. But Jesus reminds, it returns and tells her that, no, you can be just as blessed as my mother by entering my spiritual family, by hearing the words of God and doing them. That same blessing is available. So what are the words of God that we should hear? Well, these are that Jesus is God's chosen one. He's the Savior. So the proper response for this woman and for us is to put our faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord. 
and then an indicator or an outward display, the fruit of that faith is obedience that we see in the end of verse 28, to hear the words of God and to do them. That's the outward working of an inward faith in Jesus, is to hear God's word and to obey. So Jesus reminds this woman and us that the true blessing is not our family or our ancestors, but it's our spiritual family, or we could say the kingdom of God, the spiritual kingdom. Now it talks about hearing God's word and doing them. If you're wondering how to hear God's word and to do them, if you're wondering how does that actually work practically? What can I do this week to put that into practice? I recommend reading Romans chapter 8 this week. There's 39 verses in Romans chapter 8. So over five days, you could read eight verses a day. I know seven the last day. And when you read it, ask God to help you understand what is the meaning, what is the purpose. Look for what it says about God and what it says about us in relation to God. And then pray and ask God to help you to live out what you learn from His Word. Think about those eight verses throughout the day and, and each day. Maybe write them on a card and carry them with you. Or read them a couple of times. That's a great way to start hearing God's Word and doing them. Start with Romans chapter 8. Now we've talked about God's strong kingdom. And here, point number two, we talked about God's blessing. Point number three is God's great light. God's great light. At the beginning of the passage this morning, we saw that there were two challenges to Jesus' authority and power. The first was them saying that Jesus' power came from Satan himself. And the second, we saw in verse 16, well, says, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. So here in verses 29 to 36, Jesus addresses that second challenge. People wanting a sign in order to test Jesus. He starts out by addressing the crowd, saying that they're an evil generation. Verse 29, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. They wanted, God to, they wanted Jesus to do something spectacular. Maybe they were getting tired of seeing demons cast out because they just saw that, but yet they still want some sort of a sign. That's not good enough. We want something else. So what is the sign of Jonah that Jesus is talking about here? Jonah is the Old Testament prophet. God told him to go to Nineveh and proclaim a message to the people of Nineveh that God was going to judge them for their sin. Jonah hated the people of Nineveh, so he went the other way. He got on a boat. God sent a terrible storm that was about to sink the boat that Jonah was on. In order to save the sailors' lives, Jonah had to be thrown overboard. Finally, they threw him overboard. But instead of dying in the ocean, Jonah was swallowed by a huge fish. 
he spent three days in the belly of the fish and then was vomited on the shore by the fish. From there, God told Jonah to go to Nineveh again. This time, Jonah obeyed. He preached the message of destruction to these people he did not like, to the city of Nineveh. The people of Nineveh heard Jonah's message from God, and they humbled themselves before God, repented of their sins, and turned to God. So the sign of Jonah, the, the key characteristics of Jonah's story are these, that he was sent by God with a message from God. He was given to die in the place of others. He was sacrificed in the place of others. He was in a belly which is like a tomb for three days. He was vomited on the shore, which is similar to rising again. It seemed like he was dead, but now he's alive. And he did that to carry out God's purpose. Jonah is a picture of what Jesus did in his death, burial, and resurrection. The sign of Jonah is what Jesus is going to do. From this point in the story, Jesus knows what's going to happen. That is the sign of Jonah that he will die in the place of others. He will be buried in the tomb for three days, and he will rise again, completing the purpose that God has for him. Now, verse 30 says that Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh. In the same way, Jesus will be a sign to the, the current generation that he's talking to here, and to us as well. Jonah brought a message from God to the people of Nineveh, and they must respond to it. In the same way, Jesus is bringing a message from God, bringing salvation, and everyone must respond to it. This proper response to Jonah's message was repentance, and the proper response to Jesus' message is repentance. Now in verse 31, Jesus brings in another character. We see the queen of the south. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. So this is a reference to the queen of Sheba in 2 Chronicles chapter 9. She came to visit Solomon when he was at the height of his uh, of his kingdom. And she recognized that God's hand was on Solomon and the people of Israel at that time. She was blown away by how amazing Solomon's wisdom was, how beautiful and how rich his kingdom was. And Jesus says here that something greater than Solomon is here. And therefore, she will judge those who hear Jesus and do not recognize that his wisdom is from God. She heard Solomon and recognized this wisdom comes from God. And yet there were people here wanting a sign. They did not recognize that, God, that Jesus' wisdom was from God. This queen, who is an outsider, recognized God's wisdom and blessing on Solomon. And if she could do that, then those who were listening, the Israelites who were listening, they could see and hear Jesus should be able to recognize that God's wisdom was in him as well, but they did not. 
That's why Jesus says she will arise and judge them. Now he comes back to the men of Nineveh in 32. Just like the queen of the south recognized God working through and in Solomon, the men of Nineveh responded to God's message from Jonah in repentance. Verse 32 says, The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Just as there's something greater than Solomon, there's something greater than Jonah. And the people should recognize this, and when they don't, they will be condemned because they do not recognize Him. They'll be condemned for rejecting Jesus. They're without excuse for not seeing and responding to Jesus in faith. And what's keeping them from following? What's keeping them from responding correctly? It says that they wanted a sign. This sign became an issue and a reason for them not to believe. They didn't really want to know Jesus. They wanted Him to do great things to amaze them. Maybe they were bored with what was going on. They had become accustomed to seeing Jesus work in miraculous ways. It's important for us to recognize the greatness of Jesus and respond in repentance and faith. Where do you turn for wisdom? Do you look to God's Word for wisdom? Or to parents, or to friends, sometimes maybe Baidu? It's good to get several opinions. It's good to have a multitude of counselors, the Bible says. But we must recognize that God's Word is of superior value. It is the supreme Word of God that must be above the words of men. We need to turn to God's Word for wisdom. And like these, these men that Jesus is talking about who wanted a sign, what's maybe holding you back from trusting God? Are we looking for a sign as well? Maybe we think that if we have success at work, then I'll follow God more closely. Or maybe if He gives me a raise, then I'll start giving offering to the church. Maybe we think that if God would help me to lose a little weight, then I'll be more outgoing and tell my friends about Jesus. Are we looking for some sign that we have extra favor from the Lord? Or are we responding in faith and following Him like we should? Now Jesus continues to address the crowd in verse 33 to 36. Look there with me, verse 33. No one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. So a lamp or a light is meant to light up a house. We don't turn off a light, and we don't turn on a light and then cover it with something. It doesn't let the light through. We don't turn on the light as we leave a room. We, we go into a room and turn on the light. That's the purpose. Here in verse 34, we see that 
Jesus is saying that our eyes are the lamp of our body. So that whatever is inside comes out of us. This is the idea of the tea bag that I mentioned earlier. Whatever is inside, if it's light, then light comes out. If it's dark, then there's no light that comes out. It's just darkness. So we see in verse 34 then, that if our eyes are bad, meaning the light that's inside of us is bad, then we're full of darkness. This could be translated, the the bad there could be translated as evil. So if if our inside is evil, then our body is full of darkness. This ties it to what Jesus called this generation in verse 29, that they're an evil generation. So he's still talking about this evil generation. And he's saying that if there's evil inside, if it's bad inside, then what you're full of is darkness. The point is, whatever's inside of us shines out, either dark or light. Notice it's two extremes again, similar to the kingdoms, the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of God. Here we have light and darkness. Now, verse 35, Jesus warns his hearers and us today, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. We're called to assess what's what's inside of us. What is coming out of me? Is it darkness or is it light? When someone cuts in front of me in line, what's my reaction? Is that light or is that dark? When my kids are misbehaving, and I just want a break. The way I react reveals what's inside of me, light or dark. Now Jesus finishes in verse 36 with the goal, the aim of Jesus' followers. He says, If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. So we want to be full of light with no part dark. We should think about where does this light come from? Well, this light comes from the Holy Spirit that we talked about last week is a gift from God to those who believe in Him. So this Holy Spirit is the one who gives the light, who is light inside of us. On our own, we are just darkness. We cannot produce any light on our own. We might have some discipline to respond well sometimes, but what's really inside is darkness. It's interesting, though, that he says, having no part dark, it seems possible that that we could have parts that are dark. And the reality is, we are never going to be fully bright, wholly bright, as it says, on this side of eternity. While we are here, we're never going to be fully bright. There are still parts of us that are hidden, parts of us that are sinful. This is the process of sanctification, meaning God working on us to fill us completely with His light. So when we spend eternity with God, when we enter eternity with Him, then we will be wholly bright. But until then, there will be parts of us that are dark. Our task and our work 
is to submit to God as He shines His light on those dark places in our lives. So whatever is inside of us radiates out either light or the darkness. So we should consider what's inside of us. Brothers and sisters, Christians here, we should submit to the Holy Spirit who shines His light on the sin in our lives. And when we see sin, when the Holy Spirit identifies sin, we recognize that was sinful in what I just did or what I just said or what I just thought. We then need to repent of that sin. We want to repent of the sin. When we repent, that brings light to a new place in our soul instead of darkness. Don't resist the work of God to bring your sin to light. Ephesians 5 is very helpful related to light and darkness. Ephesians 5, 8 to 11 says this, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. So we want to do that in our hearts. We don't want to take part in the unfruitful works of darkness. We want to see those spots. We want to shine God's light on them. A great way to do this, the best way to shine light on those dark places, is to regularly and courageously confess your sin to other people. I say courageous because it is not easy to confess our sin to someone else. We want to keep it in the dark. And the best way to bring it in the light is to actually bring it in the light, to talk to someone else about it. Now, we, we see our sin and we repent to God. We confess to God that this is evil and this is sin. Please help me and change me. Please shine your light on my soul. But we also need to confess to other people. That makes sure that the light is being shown on our dark places. So today, before you leave, schedule a time to meet with someone this week for lunch or for coffee. During that meeting, you can bring up this message. This is a great segue. You can say, do you remember John mentioned that we should confess our sin to each other? Is it cool with you if I confess sin to you now? That's a great way to start. It's uncomfortable. It takes courage. But brothers and sisters, it is well worth it. So confess your sin to other people in order to shine light on those dark places of your heart and your life that we might shine brighter and brighter with God's light in us. Now I want to conclude with a story from Texas history. I promise I will not talk about Texas every time I preach. But this seemed very fitting. So it's my excuse every time. <laughs> so in the 1830s, Texas was under the control of Mexico. It was part of Mexico. But the Texans wanted to be independent of the Me Mexican government, be their own country. There was a small group of men in a small fort called the Alamo. And there was a large Mexican army marching down on them to take over this city and to control that area. 
the fort was very small. It was not that important. But it was important that they could hold off the Mexican army for some time so the rest of the militia, the rest of the forces, could gather together and to prepare to fight a different battle. Everyone in the Alamo, all the men who were there, knew that they could not survive this battle. The day before the battle, the Texas commander gathered all the men, and he took out his sword, and he drew a line in the sand. He called all men willing to join him in fighting the Mexican army to step across the line. All the others should leave immediately for their own safety. In this passage we looked at today, Jesus draws a line in the sand. He says, you're either with me or you're not. You're either in the kingdom of God or you serve the kingdom of Satan. You're either gathering or you're scattering. You're either radiating light or you're full of darkness. There's no middle ground. There's no renegade. So friends, by the grace of God, step across that line. Join Christ in the kingdom of God and be filled with his light. Great, powerful, and almighty God, we ask that you would work among us, move us, that we would respond in faith and obedience to your word. God, we ask that you would fill us with your spirit, that we might shine bright for you. Amen.